politics is a huge part of it. We've always overpunished, and we do that not because Alabamians are more violent than other people. It's because our policymakers have found it politically advantageous to pass laws that are more punitive. It hasn't made us safer. It hasn't lowered the crime level, it hasn't prevented crime, but it helps people get elected here. All righty. Welcome back, boys and girls. Uh, this is uh, your favorite uh, weekly Alabama politics podcast, Alabama politics this week, Josh Moon and David Person. Uh, hey, we, we come back. Uh, I think, I don't know. I, I, you know, for some reason or another, every time we take a break, I always say when we come back that nobody expected us to return. Because uh, <laughs> I like to have, you know, I'm like the, uh, I was like Bryce Young when he won the uh, when he won the Heisman, uh, got up and said, you know, he's always been counted out. The dude was the number one recruit in the nation, played for the best <laughs> high school in the country, then went to the number one football program, started as a sophomore, but he had doubters apparently. Right. Uh, yeah, it's uh, like us. I'm making myself the underdog here. There you um, go. Got to keep yeah. a chip on your shoulder. That's what <laughs> That's that right. is. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we are back, man. How was uh, how were the holidays? Holidays were good. Uh, pretty relaxed, laid back, uh, which is cool. You know, mm-hmm. the older I get, the more I appreciate yeah. that. So it was good. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just uh, ate good food. Uh, I actually hung out with um, some extended family uh, and friends. So that was cool. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, actually uh, started off the year. Uh, uh, the first day of the year in church. So we'll see. We'll see how well I do with that. Probably not so well. <laughs> it's a, yeah, I, I, I didn't. I didn't. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, what I'm finding is that uh, the older I get, um, the more, you know, the harder it is for me to work up the energy to get dressed on a weekend yeah. to go out and sit somewhere for a couple hours. Now, I, I'm going to do it. Yeah. But I just, I'm not going to do it a whole lot, though. That's a, you know, a good, maybe they do the Zoom service for you. You know, you can just do, you can Zoom it at the house. On the, yeah, on well, the I, yeah, they do, actually. they yeah. In fact, they do a real good job of that. And uh, oh, believe well. me, I take advantage of that, too, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, well, we were we were not relaxed over at the Moon household. Uh, I got to tell uh-huh. you, we were we were out and about, and uh, and we had uh, we had some family stuff that we we took advantage of, and uh, uh, then uh, Christmas morning, uh, you know, Barbie threw up at our house, and oh. um, th- yeah, oh, I mean, it was listen, Barbie Barbie stuff is everywhere here, buddy. Okay, uh, yeah, I mean, okay. it's uh, yeah, uh, campers and planes and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, listen, but who's responsible for that? Santa Claus. Um, Exactly. Santa Claus is. That, uh, uh, that, that little camper, man, that has pieces in there. There there are, there are knives and forks and spoons in there. Really? Yeah. About as big as your fingernail. Uh, About as big as a fingernail clipping. Yeah. and, And pointy. So they stick right into your feet. Um, and, um, it's, it's, but we had a good time. She, uh, she was happy. We were happy. I got, uh, got myself a new pellet grill. So I've been, uh, we've been eating well over okay. here and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's like cheating while grilling. Uh, but, yeah. um, yeah, no, it's, uh, we've had some fun, man. And, um, 
in the meantime, we've uh, we've come returned now, and we've got our lawmakers uh, about to return as well. Mm, uh, the session, yeah, mm. the session starts. Is it next Wednesday? Is that when that is? Uh, what is what's the is the sixth? So I guess yeah. it would be well next week sometime. The eleventh, uh, the mm. first day back, and I think that's so hide, yeah. and protect your wallets. Um, uh, because they're on their way to take whatever they can. Uh, And we've we've started going through the pre-filed bills, and I wrote uh, a column for today, which is Thursday, the day we record this podcast, is Mm -hmm. uh, and and talked about uh, what eight of the pre-filed bills uh, deal with firearms Uh, because this is an election year, and you know nothing drives uh, conservative voters to the polls quite like. Uh, getting to pretend like they're an action hero. Um, hmm. And uh, so all of these things, most all of them deal with uh, removing the permits for concealed carry, uh, which would allow people to, you know, tote around loaded firearms concealed um, and also carry con- uh, loaded firearms in their cars uh, while, while traveling, uh, which pretty much universally, Every law enforcement officer says is a terrible idea. Do not do this. It's a safety issue for us. Um, It's a safety issue for the public. It's another thing that uh, that prevents us from removing some of these weapons off the streets. Um, And but they don't care. You know, it's uh, we saw how little they actually care about police officers during the January 6th stuff. When, exactly. Uh, you know, they back the, these folks and this is, you know, Republican rule and they're going to try to shove this thing through. Now, it'll be interesting to see uh, when the actual police unions and other police organizations, law enforcement organizations get really up in arms about this. We're going to see mm-hmm. whether or not uh, there are some people who are uh, who will carry through with it, because I think this could put a lot of people in jeopardy um, in real I sure hope it does, because I can't think of anything more asinine than saying that we need to create a situation where anybody unchecked Mm -hmm. can get a gun without any due process at all to ensure that that person has the mental stability and the criminal background that would entitle them to have it. You know, it shouldn't be, you know, I know that the Constitution, or at least the way we interpret the Constitution, frames carrying, uh, owning guns as a right. Mm-hmm. But really, really and truly, it really shouldn't be seen as a uh, unrestricted right. It really ought to be seen more as uh, a right uh, well, I don't even want to say a right, but really more of a privilege. You know, it's it, it's a it's a const, it should be a constitutional privilege that you have to earn, mm-hmm. as opposed to or display that you are are worthy of 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 you know that you're responsible enough to do. It shouldn't just be an automatic. And and I think yeah. it's insane. And I think that that um, maybe really maybe st- you should be part of a well regulated militia. Yeah. That's an idea. Yeah, maybe. yeah, there you go. Yeah. There's an idea. Well yeah. regulated. Let's reinterpret that and reapply yeah. that. But and everybody just, forgets that little line, apparently. I, I'm really stunned, too, that these Republicans are willing in our state are so willing to go up against law enforcement on this because you're right. Law enforcement is saying, look, you're you're going to make our job a lot harder. 
Yeah. And as you pointed out in your column, it's almost virtually guaranteed that the homicide rates are going to go up. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, you know, I think my biggest problem is, uh, you know, it's, even if we want to say it's a right, and that's fine. It is, you know, a constitutional right for, you know, to keep and bear arms. I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, but it's also a constitutional right for free speech. Yet I cannot walk into a crowded movie theater and scream fire. Uh, when I know there isn't one and injure people with the, you know, I, I can't, you know, I can't be careless in my acts. I can't be, we, we've regulated free speech. We've regulated the right to gather and protest. Matter of fact, the, the very politicians that are going to pass this last year tried to pass an anti-protest bill. That's right. They called it an anti-riot bill, which puts severe restrictions on people's right to gather and protest uh, their That's government. Right. Um, so, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, if that, if that had been in place in Washington, D.C., you could have arrested every single person that was on the Capitol grounds that day. Not mm-hmm. that went into the Capitol. Everybody that was on the grounds that day, you could have arrested mm-hmm. uh, for, for a riot. So, you know, these are the same people that we're dealing with here. And for some reason or another, and we know why, we know why that the people love to carry guns and pretend like, the, you know, just the simple fact that you're carrying a gun makes you safer and that you're going to be some kind of a hero and, and keep the uh, the bad guys away or, you know, foil the crime or the kidnapping or, or the mass shooter or whatever. Uh, I mean, it's a fantasy that, that this is going to happen and it almost never happens, by the way, almost never happens this way. So, but it makes people feel safe and okay, that's fine. You want to carry a gun and you want to feel safe like that. I don't have any problem with that. I've carried guns. I've had guns. I've had, you know, shotguns. It's it's sure. not a big deal. You know, it's, it's just a tool. I've also carried hammers and saws and, you know, right. and drills. And I'm not going to carry one around with me and put pictures of me carrying the drill on Facebook, uh, right. you know, but uh, <laughs> was it, it, was a, it was a comedian that talks about, you know, the people well, you know, claiming this is a public safety issue or the safety I and mean, keeping my family safe. Uh, it, I cannot remember this guy's name. He had a show on Comedy Central for a while, and he's like, "No, it's not. You know, it's you know, it keeps your family safer than a gun, a good deadbolt door. You know, a good yeah. uh, a good safety door. Yeah, you ever seen your friends with taking a picture of themselves on Facebook with a good safety door? No, <laughs> and the know, alarm system. Yeah, yeah a, a dog. A, you know, yeah. uh, so dog, it's yeah. I, I'm I'm fine with all of that, but. You know, what, what you've done here is, is promote this idea that these guns are going to make you safer. And, and that has allowed gun manufacturers to flood our streets with weapons, cheap weapons that are easily accessible by people who have bad intentions and who have no conflict resolution training, as mm-hmm. they like to say, mm-hmm. uh, about kids who are in school that ha- that keep shooting each other. And in the city where they're going to pass these laws, mo- more than likely, there were more than there were almost 80 homicides last year mm-hmm. in Montgomery. Gun homicides. There were more than 300 shootings. They took more than 1,600 weapons off the street. The police confiscated more than 1,600 weapons in 2021 alone. Yeah. All right. So Montgomery so was 80, like the 20th deadliest city in America for gun yeah, homicides. So, so 80, 80 homicides in a year is more than one homicide a week. It's mm-hmm. almost two homicides a week. Yes. It's that more per capita than Chicago. Well, that's really saying something. Yeah. Considering considering all of the 
all of the, the shooting and killing that has gone on in my hometown, Chicago, that's really saying something. Mm-hmm. What, what concerns me, you know, the gun manufacturers are definitely a problem, but I really still, the onus to me is on the politicians. Mm-hmm. And I just don't, I don't understand how in good conscience they can promote something that is almost guaranteed to, to increase the homicide rate. And, and again, as you pointed out in your column, you can sit, and I didn't know this because I, I haven't spent much time in Montgomery at, at night, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, um, but as you said, you can sit on a porch in Montgomery at night and hear oh, it's, I, I lived um, in Cloverdale. Uh, mm-hmm. When when I was there and um, and on uh, we st- which is a nice area. Oh, it's a very nice area. area. Yeah. yeah, you know, a couple yeah. of my neighbor was a the, the people that bought the house were a couple of attorneys for the uh, SPLC. The the, yeah. the 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 guy that uh, my a surgeon lived around the corner from us. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Milton McGregor lived two blocks over. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so this is not. I'm not talking about you know uh, some some terrible place uh, here, right. but man. You could, my wife Steph and I would would sit outside, and and you could hear starting at about you know dusk or so, you could you would start to hear the gunfire, and I mean there, there were some during the day as well, but night was really really something. You you know because we love to sit outside and listen to the ASU band because mm-hmm. we could hear the ASU band uh, practicing uh, you know just a few blocks away, and uh, so we would listen to them and um and and but you could hear the gunfire and it was you know they would always well it might be fireworks really fireworks on September the thirteenth you know you know what I mean it's just <laughs> the hell are they celebrating you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, they firing off some bottle rockets on, you know, it's just, just shut up, you know, I mean, come on, fireworks. And so, it, you know, but it's, uh, and that's why I said it's, it's, you know, they're, they're like uh, people that joke about this all the time openly. It's just an open joke around Montgomery. Is that gunfire or fireworks? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, there's just, it's overwhelming. The, the, the prevalence of guns around there. It's just, it's overwhelming. Talk to the police that, that work those streets every day and talk about the guns that they take. They're, they're, they're shooting kids at, at on school campuses. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're confiscating weapons around campuses. They, they have AK-47s. They, you know, they tried mm-hmm. to rob a train one day. A train. It's a like train. A Jesse James. Yes, they were trying to rob a train coming through town. Like an uh, Amtrak train? No, not no, like a like a boxcar train. They, they what? there was something. Yes, man, there was something on this train that they knew about. I, hmm. Listen, there are some stories I could because I, I had. I know for a liberal, I have a lot of police friends that told uh-huh. me a lot of stories about things that were going on there in that city and still tell me a lot of stories. So, in fact, I was really good friends with a former police chief there. And um, and he I mean, they, they talked about these things and about how they were uh, they were tra- they were using some of the trains to transport the weapons. Uh, okay, we would attach them uh, underneath wow. cars and stuff. Wow. And, uh, and they, I mean, they did this, they did this all over. They had they had another similar case in uh, you may have known about this in Decatur a few years back, uh, where there was a train that came through, and they thought that there was they shut everything down around Highway 20, I, I believe, because it was a train that was going into a plant there, and uh, they had to shut everything down because they found something attached to this train and they thought it might be a bomb. Uh, 
uh, going in. It ended up being something where people were trying to transport illegal, uh, something illegal. And so mm-hmm. th- this is used far more than, than people realize. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. they, we, need, we need to make a new season of The Wire about trains, I think. But um, mm-hmm. it's, you know, look, it, I'm just, my point to all this is there is, oh, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a good story. Okay. okay. Back, I want to say this was 2015 or so, 2014, 2015. Montgomery at that point had, we were in the summer, right after summer, and they had had a string of homicides, and it was clear that they were going to set a record at that point, which was, I think, in the 50s uh, for for the number of homicide rates, or number of mm-hmm. homicides in the city that, that year. So we were going to do, I worked at the Montgomery Advertiser at the time, and we were going to go, go out and do stories about uh, the uptick in, in violent crime. And so I went to a number of housing projects uh, there and, and walked around and talked to people. Um, and at one housing project, I, I, when I got there, the police were everywhere. And just so happened, I got there on a day when there was a shooting uh, and somebody had been shot. And so I walked around. And of course, you know how it is. Everybody comes outside to take a look, see what's going on. And, and everybody wants to talk. And, uh, and so that was a really uh, good place for a reporter to be to get a good story out of this. And, uh, and what I, I've started asking people, what do you think is le- leading to this? And, you know, person after person kind of said, well, you know, the guns are pretty easy to get these days. And so I kept hearing that. And so I talked to this older lady there and I said, you know, what, I keep hearing that guns are really easy to get. And she said, oh, baby, they're easy. And I said, uh, like, how easy? How easy is it? She said, how much money do you have in your pocket? And I said, I'm pulled out. I think I had $15 in my pocket. I had $15. She said, we get you a gun for $15. And I said, no, <laughs> you can't. She took me around the corner and uh-huh. walked into a house and came back out. She said, give me your $15. And I gave her the $15. And she came back out with a small handgun and handed wow. it to me. And uh, and said, wow. I said, I don't want that. <laughs> Just give me my, give me my fifteen back. I'm not touching that. You're not putting my prints on that. <laughs> You're framing me. Uh, but uh, you know, that's but that was you know, that's she powerful was, though. That's powerful. Yeah, I mean, she, yeah. listen, it was it was crazy, man. And yeah. Uh, yeah. and then that's that's the problem. And and all of that to me is a direct result. Of the you know, removing the restrictions on assault weapons, removing mm-hmm. the restrictions on guns, uh, there being absolutely no policy whatsoever for uh, you know for firing for owning a weapon. You know, you can walk into Walmart today, and if you don't, you, you you're not a felon. You pass the background check uh, and the minimal background check that there is, and walk, and you start carrying a loaded weapon around on your side. In the store that day. I mean, is that not insane? That's very insane. And again, but it's it's even more than insane. I think it's really evil. I think there is an evil element to this because we know what kind of society we live in. We know that there are mass shootings. We know that kids get access, troubled kids get access to guns and then go into schools and do shootings. We know that that there are people that are killing people in domestic, intimate partner, uh, violent situations. We know all of this stuff. And yet we've got a contingent of politicians and lobbyists who continue to say, oh, well, who cares about all that? Let's make it even more accessible. Let's make guns even more accessible. Let's create an environment where 
the people who are killing people or who or and you know this is a, this is another part of the problem i think i think there's an assumption that only certain types of people are really vulnerable to this that the mm-hmm. rest of us oh we'll be fine you yes. know because we're not you know we're not black and poor mm-hmm. or we're mm-hmm. not this or that whatever the whatever the label is they want to they want to slap on people but we know that the reality is that human nature crops up everywhere. Yes. And so uh, I don't care how wealthy you are or what your race is or what your, 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 your religious label is. You could be a victim mm-hmm. either because of your own actions or because of somebody else's actions. And they just, they just don't seem to give a damn. John. No, it's they a, don't no. care. You're you're 100% right about what you just said about what the way that, that people are labeled in these sorts of things because the, the former mayor of Montgomery, Todd Strange, who's a friend of mine, I, I like Todd Strange a lot, but we, man, we went back and forth and we argued heatedly a couple of times about mm-hmm. uh, his continued use of saying, well, these are criminals killing criminals. You know, these are criminals shooting criminals. I said, man, that don't matter. These are people. You know, That's these are right. these are people that are, you know, that, that at some point it doesn't, you know, it doesn't it shouldn't make anybody sleep any better to know that it happened on this part of town. All mm-hmm. right. Because this is going to eventually happen on the other part of town. You keep letting it go like this mm-hmm. and you keep uh, you know, doing this and pretending like this isn't a problem for for everybody. Uh, I said, what we've got to do is change the mindset of people about weapons and about, how, you know, how they are and start treating them as though they're tools and not this thing to romanticize uh, mm-hmm. and, and pretend as though they're this uh, magical Weapon, you know, that's going to transform you into this ultra safe person all of a sudden because, or a hero because you're carrying this thing around. And, and that's, you know, that's what we've done. And, and I, I know people, they blame it on movies and TV shows and things like that. But hell, man, there are movies and TV shows in other countries that do the same stuff. You know, yeah. they're all watching the same things. Why aren't they yeah. shooting everybody? Exactly. Exactly. And by the way, We've had we've had guns and shooting in movies and TV shows uh, since the beginning of that technology, probably mm-hmm. or close to it, and and yet we haven't seen historically uh, in this country, to my knowledge, what we are seeing today, especially with mass shootings. Yeah. So I just I, you know I, I think that's a bunch of crap. That argument doesn't hold up. What it comes down to is we don't have the right kind of policies to regulate, you know, sensible gun control. That's all yeah. we're asking for. We're not asking for the abolition of guns no. or gun ownership. We're asking for sensible gun control, period. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and, and people will say, you know, we'll start to nitpick on, well, it show me in this particular instance how a gun regulation would have stopped this from happening. And, and I, but you're, you're not thinking of it in the right way with that. The, the regulation of weapons makes people think differently about them. It's the same way, I use this example all the time, it's the same way with marijuana. Marijuana, for every uh, objective measure, is less harmful for you than alcohol. Mm-hmm. All right, there, there's nothing that you can, I mean, maybe if you're talking about smoking it, but if you're talking about just ingesting, eating uh, a, you know, an edible or whatever, um, th- there's no way you can measure it where it's not less harmful than alcohol. But, but because of the regulations and the laws against marijuana, people believe 
that this is something that could be dangerous. This is something that could be something we need to take care of. You know, we need to watch about this. We need to make sure that there there are regulations and we need to be careful with this stuff. And the only reason for that is because of the regulations that are placed on it. And it's the same way with weapons. If we treated them as a dangerous tool, that we need to regulate and that people need to be trained to own, then that's the way people, the majority of people would treat them. That's it. I mean, yeah. it's just common sense to me about that, but yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. psychology to it. You're right. Yeah. But uh, you know, and, and this is part of a pattern though, these bills uh, that they're passing, you know, they've also, there's also an abortion bill, of course, that's going to mm-hmm. mimic the Texas one where the rapist can sue their, their victims uh, for $10,000. And, um, uh, you know, it's, and that's going to cost the state money. Yep. Guarantee that's going to cost the state money. That's, that's going to blow up in their faces. I think. Yep. I think I think you're right, too. And uh, and it's you know, there's no way I don't care what happens at the Supreme Court. There's no way that these laws that place a bounty that allow for a bounty Mm -hmm. um, are going to be upheld. They're they're just it's just not something that's going to work. And you can go and talk to even most conservative attorneys who are very uh, anti-abortion people. And they'll tell you that they have there's going to be real trouble with those things. And so, I you know, I. is, this is what we're going to get, though, for this session, because this session is an election year session. And mm-hmm. so some people need to prove to their conservative voters that they are as a tough, true conservative. And you really, you know, I saw Mo Brooks, speaking of which, I saw Mo Brooks say that he was the only uh, candidate in the U.S. Senate race that voted uh, for Roy Moore over yes, Doug Jones. I and I thought. Jesus Christ, if that's what sways people. You know, I mean, well, you imagine a even, voting base that's swayed by that. And it's... Uh, <laughs> it's not even true, really. That's I mean, it's, what it's I was that, say. Yeah, it's I mean, the other true. two people weren't here, you know. Yeah. A, Katie Britt yeah, and uh, Durant weren't even in here. Washington, living mm-hmm. in Washington, yeah. I mean, it's just... God. Mo was just flailing around, man. He's like a drowning man in a in the, at really the deep is. end of the swimming pool. He's just he's flailing around, man. He 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 sees he sees the writings on the wall, and he just mm-hmm. he's just doing his best, which is not even close to being good enough to try no. to save himself. No, you're right, and uh, and I uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think Durant is gonna be, is gonna climb over him uh, uh, quickly here, and uh, it'd be interesting to see how that goes, um, especially if uh, if Trump comes out with uh, support for Durant. And but uh, yeah. I'd also be interested though to see uh, someone ask Mike Durant exactly how he feels about uh, Trump, who he touts r- frequently in his ads, uh, saying that he yeah. likes uh, uh, soldiers who weren't captured. Um, yep. Yeah. You know, yep. That's and that know. is, and I think you're right. That's going to be. I would love to see how he frames his answer on that one. Yeah. I, All I, right. I well, uh, you know, so, so you know, a lot of uplifting news to start you off there, uh, and uh, we're going to get even more uplifting when we <laughs> go to Beth Shelburne and talk about what's happening in Alabama's prisons, because uh, uh, nothing brightens the mood quite like a prison story. Yeah. Um, so unless you, unless Andy Dufresne and Morgan Freeman are involved, but. Um, you know, even then. So, all right, let's uh, let's slide out of here. We'll come right back with uh, Beth Shelburne and, uh, and talk to her for a few minutes. Uh, Alabama politics this week. I can. Hi, this is David Person with Alabama politics this week. You know, Josh and I 
have a lot of fun doing this podcast, and we also try to keep it very informational with newsmaker interviews, and and we try to do our research, too, before we get on here and pontificate. I hope that you find the podcast informative and entertaining. So if you do, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to rate us, subscribe to us, and review us on your favorite podcasting platform, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever it is you're using to listen to us. Please do that. That will help us to move up in the rankings and also to uh, get more people to tune in. So if you're a fan of Alabama politics this week, I hope you'll do that for us. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama politics this week. Josh Boone, David Person. And we are happy now to be joined by Beth Shelburne, uh, who is currently a uh, freelance journalist, does a lot of work with ACLU. Uh, you've probably, if you know Beth at all, you, you've seen her probably on Twitter uh, or in some social media circle where she is talking about the issues within our, our prison systems. Um, and, you know, there are many issues. So uh, that keeps her pretty busy. But, uh, you know, that uh, first of all, Beth, uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I've actually was told recently by a man who's incarcerated in Alabama that I am now considered the mistress of mass incarceration in Alabama. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, that sounds like a podcast in uh, by itself. The mistress of mass incarceration. Yes. Yeah. I don't. uh, You got to use that. I'd put that on cards. Absolutely. Uh, that's, yeah, the mistress Absolutely. of mass incarceration. I was on yeah. that. Yeah, I was going to say, well, that's, I'd wear that with like a badge. Yeah. yeah well, it is. I don't, it costs. All right. So you you took a, a fairly interesting career track here to me, anyway. Yeah. You go because you were, uh, you were an anchor. Is that, were you an anchor or just a reporter at a TV station? I was both. I worked as a television news anchor and investigative reporter for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. And then and then left to do freelance stuff, mostly uh, almost exclusively about uh, prisons and incarcerations and uh, and the, uh, what led to that? Yeah, it's a niche that not many people fall into. <laughs> uh huh. I started covering Alabama prisons in 2012 when I was working for WBRC in Birmingham, and it just kind of exploded. Um, I covered the federal complaint that was filed on behalf of women at Tutwiler Mm -hmm. regarding the sexual violence um, that was perpetrated by staff. And um, I tell people it was like opening up Pandora's box of horrors. You know, I I filed one story and then five more showed up on my desk. So um, I think that, um, you know, most newsrooms get jail mail or, you know, calls from people in prison um, or their families and typically sort of look askance and don't really want to get into all that. And I just decided, you know, there's such an avalanche of of calls and letters and emails, and all of them have similar stories that I need to pay attention to this. So I kind of made a decision to start doing stories on a regular basis. And I did that until 2019. And then I decided to leave mainstream media because I felt like I had some things I wanted to say um, that, you know, uh, took a position 
mm-hmm. these issues. And so um, I needed to, to carve out a space for myself that's not really there for um, mainstream TV news reporters and anchors. Well, you know, I, I, Eddie Burkhalter, who, who works with us at, um, at APR, he does a lot of the prison stuff for us. And, and, I, and I've told him and, I've, and actually I've used your name as well and, and said, I, I don't know how y'all do it every day. I don't. Um, it is the most horrifying, um, saddening, uh, depressing group of stories and and they're, and they're just never ending. And, and a lot of times it seems because I've written some of these things and I mean, I just can't do it every day. And, and because you're right, the letters, they just keep coming and they keep coming. And, um, and it just, it seems like to me that it would be so overwhelming. How, how do y'all deal with that on a daily basis? It's totally overwhelming. Um, it's difficult to process that level of trauma But honestly, um, it's also a gift, I think, to um, witness the humanity of people that are weathering this kind of environment with um, such grace. I mean, honestly, the best people I know in this state are in prison And, um, and and not like, you know, the best people in prison that are my sources, like I'm talking all people, Um, you know, people I think that are in a really oppressive environment, um, sometimes just collapse within themselves and get strung out on dope, become suicidal, you know, all these things that we see, but some, some of them are able to tap into this inner fortitude that they have and become people that are really enlightened. And so um, I've obviously developed a lot of sources, some who I consider friends, and it's really been a gift to, um, you know, be a voice and to tell their stories and to illuminate this experience that so many people in Alabama are having that for so long felt like nobody cared they had no voice and no one was paying attention to it. So um, that's sort of what lifts me up is, um, you know, just getting to experience a population of people that I normally wouldn't have come into contact with. And now I feel like they've made me a better person. So, you know, Beth, there is, uh, I think, deeply ingrained in the culture of this state, a real antipathy for for people who have been convicted and incarcerated. And I wonder, I wonder if as you examine the the multiple level of problems with mass incarceration in our state, if you had to boil it down to one thing, would you say that it is due to this deeply ingrained antipathy or is it about politics? Or is it about money? What What's at the root of this? Wow, that is such a good question. And I'm not sure that I can really succinctly answer it. Um, I do ponder it a lot. Why is it so bad here in Alabama? Like, what is it about us as a people that have had the worst prison system, not just now, but historically, you know, dating back to the beginnings of prison systems, ours has always been the worst. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a combination of 
of those things, David. I think it's, you're right. There is a, um, there's a mindset problem that we have in our state and it's not just Alabama. Um, I think it's, it's particularly acute in the death belt, death penalty states that have harsh punishment ingrained into their DNA. They feel like the best way to straighten somebody out is to punish them and jail and prison should be punishment Therefore, horrific conditions, starving to death, being trafficked within the walls of prison, all of those horrible things that are unimaginable, people can just shrug and say, well, you chose to be there because you committed a crime. That's a mindset problem. I mean, we are like othering a huge portion of our population that are dealing largely with issues that are public health issues like addiction, substance use mental health that we don't have treatment for or acceptance of at the community level. So I think it's that. And I do think politics is a huge part of it. We've always overpunished, And we do that not because Alabamians are more violent than other people. It's because our policymakers have found it politically advantageous to pass laws that are more punitive. It hasn't made us safer. It mm-hmm. hasn't lowered the crime level, hasn't prevented crime, but it helps people get elected here. And um, so I think those two things are really at the heart of um, why we are where we are. Hmm. And for those who would say, and I and I think you did a really good job of analyzing it, uh, and I, and I don't you know, you said you didn't think you could do it succinctly, but I think you did actually. Um, what what do you say to people uh, who just feel that everything that you've just said is just not really doesn't matter? It's just, you know what, you know that's fine and good, but you're just a bleeding heart. You're you know, you you've maybe you've been compromised due to your relationships with prisoners and and uh, you, you just don't really get the whole what what law and order and justice is really about. What, what do you say to folks like that? I don't have a lot of people that that say that to my face. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of conversations with people one on one and um, even people that are super conservative law and order people. And they, they agree with a lot of the things I'm saying and reporting. So one-on-one, you know, that's not really communicated, but I do think that that is out there in the ethos, Um, you know, that um, people that advocate for folks in prison have crossed some sort of Rubicon that they can never go back on. And I'm compromised because (laughs) You know, I I see them and, oh, my God, they've gotten in my head and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can no longer cover these issues fairly. That's just not um, it's it's not true. I think that um, part of the um, mainstream media's downfall and, and covering criminal justice and crime is that we don't see people that are in the system. We really take the word of the state. And that is the story. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just not the truth either. So, um, you know, I try to have conversations with 
people that are in disagreement with me, but it's very hard in this climate. Um, I find a lot of people that are very conservative, that are willing to have conversations about what's going on in the prisons and criminal justice are in the faith community. And they mm -hmm. seem to be the most open to talking honestly about what is going on. I went to a funeral recently for a man who died on Alabama's death row, Doyle Ham. You guys might remember Alabama botched his execution mm -hmm. attempt because he was dying of cancer and had no viable veins. His attorney, Bernard Harcourt, had advocated for them to call off the execution because of Doyle's health and the state persisted and it turned into this really bloody ordeal in the death chamber. Um, well, Doyle died of natural causes and I went to his funeral and there were um, a handful of people there that are prison volunteers, ministers with Kairos Ministries um, and other services that are very conservative people. These are mm -hmm. like, you know, white, uh, Trump supporting Republicans, but they will go there with me about the inhumanity and um, the barbarity of our system. They won't quite get out there and do it publicly yet. You know, I think there's been some reluctance in the faith community to to um, lead in that way because part of it is they don't want to lose their access to ministering to the people in prison, and if they criticize the system that could be a, a retaliatory move of the system mm, is to block sure. their access. But, but that's where I find the, the most room um, for unlikely allies is between um, progressive people like myself that see this as a human rights disaster and um, conservative people that are really looking at it from a faith-based perspective. Um, people that are like staunchly law and order, blue lives matter, um, that just want to scream at me. I just don't really waste a lot of time trying to engage with them because, um, you know, if they come right out of the gate calling me an idiot and saying, I've lost all respect for you because you just, you just care about the bad guys. It's just, we're not going to have a conversation. Yeah. Sort of a non-starter. If, if yeah. I can real quickly say no, uh, before ahead. before I toss it back to Josh, you mentioned Kairos, and I think the last time I was in Limestone, which was uh, hmm, probably twenty years ago, um, which is a whole nother story. I just, you know, being in there so hard, I just I had to stop going, honestly. But I was asked to speak to a, uh, and I may have shared this on the podcast before, Josh, I can't remember, but I had to speak to, I was asked to speak to uh, a group of prisoners who had just graduated from a drug uh, uh, rehabilitation program. And, uh, and, I, and I met a man from Kairos in there. And, and you're right, those, they, they seem to be, he seemed to be just a very dedicated person um, to, um, to trying to support these men as they were trying to make this positive transition in their lives. Um, but yet at the same time, and this is something that I find it's a real, I'm a Christian, even though I'm a, a very, you know, I'm very liberal politically and theologically, but I am a Christian, but I, but, but this is very much a dilemma for me that, 
that uh, these these people who can be very pro death penalty and law and order to I think a really uh, troubling extreme also seem to have this other side to them. What 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 do you have you been able to sort of figure out what that's all about? Because I don't get it honestly. I just don't get it. Yeah, I mean I. Um, I, I've just started writing about death penalty cases and this podcast I'm working on is about a death penalty case. And, and that is a real head scratcher. The folks that are so dedicated to going on death row and saving souls, which, you know, I appreciate the fact that they're concerned about that and that they're spending time with people that are in prison, um, walking with them, you know, caring about them, seeing them but they're not advocating for death penalty abolition. And, um, mm. you know, uh, that to me is it, it I, I don't know. There's a disconnect there because I don't know how you can work on that level with human beings and not turn into like sister Helen, you know, who wants exactly. to like burn the whole thing down because exactly. um, death row is about, you know, the worst thing that, we do to people. Mm-hmm. And um, when folks go in and get to know those people, um, but kind of stay silent on the fairness of it all and the humanity that, I don't know, I, I don't know where their heads are at. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know is an acceptable answer. I mean, because I'm the same way with a lot of people. I just don't, I don't know where, where their heads are on things. And But you, you mentioned um, uh, the retaliatory nature uh, of the Department of Corrections um, and, and the state uh, for uh, whenever someone criticizes the system. And, uh, and I think we have all experienced this, and you, you specifically, I think, there for, for quite some time. I don't know if they – have they ever started responding to you again? Uh, no, I've been blacklisted by Governor Kay Ivey's office and the Department of Corrections. They both have public information offices where they manage public information for the public – but um, I am not yeah. entitled to that information. I, I, let me clarify, if I file a formal records request, which also requires a $25 filing fee, um, that's in a money order or um, a cashier's check, mm-hmm. um, the Department of Corrections will respond to those, sometimes to deny the request but they'll at least respond. But as far as the folks that are getting paid state salaries to manage these offices where you deal with the public and the media, no, they completely ignore me. They have totally iced me out. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, that to me is a, um, you know, cause we, we've mentioned a lot of people that are on a lot of reasons for the, for the system being the way that it is. Um, and to me, uh, my argument has always been, you know, I understand public perception, uh, you know, the way the public doesn't care about you know, putting prisoners in here and just forgetting about them or whatever. But we pay in, we're paying millions of dollars every year to, to uphold this system that we have. We have people that are employed gainfully. 
uh, making hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases uh, for the jobs that they have at the Department of Corrections and as governor and other and AG uh, that in which which, by the way, I'd like to point out that Steve Marshall does not get enough blame for what goes on here. All of these lawsuits cross his desk. Uh, all of them. He sees everything, single thing, everything that the DOJ came in and, and said we, we were horrible and that we need to be we were inhumane. Uh, and all of those lawsuits crossed his desk first. So, um, you know, so there's not enough blame there. But uh, overall, we have a Department of Corrections. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, you can tell me if you think I'm wrong. But ultimately, the jails or the prisons that you have are a direct result of the jailers that manage them. Um, and, you know, we, we don't have to be this way. It costs as much to run bad prisons as it does to run good prisons. It actually costs um, more to run bad prisons yeah. because they're fighting all these lawsuits. Uh, so what this is going to be a, a, a really broad question. So just feel free to run wild. Uh, what's the problem with our Department of Corrections? Um, I think it's. The main problem that I see and that I hear from people that are not only incarcerated in the system, but work for the system is there is deep corruption that goes up the food chain um, all the way to the central office. And um, it has been allowed to grow and multiply and really thrive um, over the years, um, just completely, uh, unimpeded. Um, there's a culture inside the department of corrections of brutality. Um, we know about several use of force deaths where officers have beaten people to death. Those are the ones we know about, mm -hmm. um, the ones that got out to the media and that, um, myself and other reporters reported on and they were forced to answer questions about them, but there are all sorts of incidents that happen every day um, that we don't know about. Um, so I think the the default inside the Department of Corrections is beat down. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that the, the reason that the corruption is, I think the root of the problem is we have all this violence, you know, what they call inmate on inmate violence, um, all these assaults, sexual assaults. Um, and it's because there is a robust drug trade and contraband trade mm -hmm. that is facilitated by the officers and the management and people are getting killed for that reason. Mm. They're getting killed over phones. They're getting killed over dope debts. And the reason that that underground economy exists is because officers are bringing that stuff in and they're bringing it in in a really coordinated, large scale way. It's not packages getting thrown over the fence. I mean, that happens, but there are so many people dying with multiple substances in their systems. I mean, things like fentanyl, heroin, methamphetamines. There was a, a young man that died at St. Clair Correctional Facility last year in July, and I obtained his autopsy. He died of an overdose of fentanyl and meth, but he also had a tranquilizer in his system that's used on livestock. Mm, mm, so, mm, I mean, mm. 
you know, we know that these drugs are being brought in by officers um, and, and they're not rooting out, they're not cutting off the head of the snake. They're making little arrests here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but this runs so deep. I think that if an investigative body came in and really shook this tree as hard as they could, there might be nothing left. Wow. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, um, it sounds like hyperbole, but, um, it, it's just, it's, it's so widespread and it's the despair is so deep among the people that are trapped in there. I, I'll tell you this quick story. Um, I won't give names, but there was a man that attempted suicide recently in one of the prisons. And one of my sources told me about this. Um, he was not a drug user on the street. He ended up in prison for a violent case that was over-prosecuted and he ended up getting this just astronomical sentence. It was like a bar fight that turned into like a capital murder case, you know, something like that. Mm. He wasn't a drug user. He became a drug user in the Alabama prison system. So he's used drugs for years. He has recently become hooked on fentanyl, which is highly addictive and lethal. I mean, it Mm -hmm. is so deadly and it's all over the prisons. So recently this man took himself out of general population and asked the guards to put him in an isolation cell so he could detox. He told, you know, some of his friends, I'm, I got to get off this stuff. It's killing me. He goes into segregation, gets clean, gets out. It's a very predatory environment. The drug traffickers know who the addicts are. And so they immediately descended on him and he started using again. Mm. So recently he tried to kill himself and then ended up in a suicide cell. So he's, you know, they take all your clothes, they put you in a suicide smock where you sit in a cold cell and they feed you nothing but peanut butter sandwiches every day. And that's where he is. And he's going through detox also. And, you know, it's a story of somebody who, it's not that he doesn't want to get better. It's that he literally can't mm-hmm. in this yeah. environment. And those stories are everywhere. They are all over the system. And, and there's you know more to it. He has gotten in debt. His family was being extorted, et cetera, et cetera. It's just this like nightmarish hellscape that seems to never end. Um, but that's what we're doing. We're wrecking people. Yeah, it's a, it's it's not you know corrections is in the name you know I mean the correction it should be corrections uh, you know and and we're we're doing the opposite of that and and I think it opened up a lot of people's eyes when we went for a year and a half or two years with no visitors in the prisons including no no attorneys visits um, and and still the drugs came in at the same rate or greater rates and we had overdoses at the same rates or greater rates and uh, yeah I. 2021 was the deadliest year since I've been tracking deaths. Um, I started in about 2017. Um, There were about double the number of people that died from drug use or overdose. Yeah, it's and 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 speaking of that, I know there's like a thousand other little topics that we could go into, but I mean it's it's also uh, the Department of Corrections blocks that number, and you can't get a straight answer from it. Even the families of the people who die can't get a straight answer of what's what's going on. And I, I just it seems like 
such a, I mean, you're, you're, the, what are you hiding? You're the Department of Corrections. You know, I mean, what, what are you hiding? And why is there, why is there this, this wall of secrecy about what's taking place in inside a prison? Shouldn't it be the most open place in the world? I mean, nobody in there should have any, any real privacy of what's going on. Right. I mean, in theory, yes, but I think prisons tend to be closed institutions. Um, you know, they'll cite security, but I mean, here we've got a prison system that is out of control. We know it's out of control. Um, so when they start curtailing the information that they'll release, um, I mean, they're blocking AP from getting data on yeah. deaths. It's not just me now, like it's almost, mm. you know, everybody they're, they're shooting down and, and not releasing information to, yeah, what, you have to wonder what, what, how bad is it? Yeah. If like, you know, they won't even release what we think we know. How bad is the stuff that we don't know about? Yeah. Yeah. I have a concern, too, about the fact that we talk about prisons, but even county jails uh, can be very dangerous places and drug ridden places. Uh, I re- there was a young man. Uh, uh, obviously, I won't mention his name because I don't have his permission to repeat this story, but there was a young man that I used to visit at the, uh, the Morgan County jail, um, before, um, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'd go, you know, visit him maybe once a month or whatever it, it was. Um, this is, this is a, this was a guy that I'd watch grow up and uh, his father and I, his father and mother actually, and I were in school together, at college together. And so I would go visit him. And I remember one time when I went to visit him, uh, I noticed he was drinking something out of a cup. And I said, uh, yeah, you know, hey, what, what, you know, what, what, what are you drinking? And he said, uh, you don't want to know. I don't know if that was necessarily a reference to drugs. It could have been a reference to, you know, what I've heard called toilet gin or something or whatever they call Mm. it, but toilet hooch or hooch. Okay. But, uh, but I just thought, my God, you know what, if he can't even say, Oh, it's a soda or it's some juice. Oh, it's just water. He doesn't want to say, but he wants to convey that whatever it is, is is something I probably don't need to know about. I just thought, my God, what a horrible situation. Mm-hmm. What a horrible situation. Like if that's like right in front of you, what are the things that, you know, he's not sharing and can't yeah. put right in front of you? Yeah. yeah. And how does nobody know that that's what's going on right in front of your own visitors, you know? And yeah. it's just. Well, uh, yeah. And I suspect yeah. people know and they just don't. I mean, yeah. I guess as long as he doesn't say. Mm-hmm. then it doesn't reflect badly on on the prison, I guess, is the mentality or whatever, or the jail. But uh, That's such a good point, though, David, that, um, you know, my work is largely focused on ADOC, the Alabama prison system, but the jails, the county and city jails across our state, it is like the Wild West, and nobody knows what's going on in there. Many of them are like black boxes. You mm-hmm. can't even find out who's in there and why they're there. They won't yeah. release jail rosters. I mean, it's um, there's so much work to be done um, rooting all this out. And, um, 
you know, I hope to eventually be able to focus some on the jails because the little that I hear is really terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, and you're right. They're, they're basically CIA black sites uh, because mm. you can't figure out who who's in, mm. in them. And and that's a big problem that we have with the, with the prisons that are about to be built. Uh, they, they suspect that yeah. there are probably six or seven thousand uh, state inmates currently being housed in county jails and city jails around the state and that they're going to then be flooded back into this into these new systems and immediately overcrowd the new prisons. And so, it, you know, like I said, there are a thousand different little avenues that we could take in this and but uh, we've kept you you know 30 minutes here now and 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 that's i know that uh, you've got other things to do and and other places to go but uh, you tell people uh, you know what you're working on where they can find your work uh what you know if they want to know more about it how they can can get in contact with you if if they need to uh, all of that yeah i mean the the place where i'm reporting most consistently is Twitter. So I'm at B Shelburne and um, it's not just prison. I also share photos of my dogs and cakes that I bake. So I try to, you know, uh, <laughs> lighten it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it, it, it can be a really heavy topic. Um, I'm also doing reporting, um, as I mentioned, for the Campaign for Smart Justice, um, which is part of ACLU of Alabama. And I'm just looking up the website because I don't know it off the top of my head. It's alabamasmartjustice.org. Um, and so you can find uh, reports and stories that I've filed for them. I also have kind of a um, just online um, uh, inventory of my work at my website, bethshelburne.com. So, um, and it's it's the work I've done with Smart Justice plus um, I've published in other places as well. So, um, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's appreciated. Uh, the work, the work Absolutely. that you've done is appreciated by a lot of people, myself included, and I know David as well. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's, um, you know, and I know there are hundreds, if not thousands of prisoners out there that, uh, that, uh, that have been impacted by it as well. And, and hopefully at some point, uh, maybe with everybody paying attention, we could get a little bit of positive change in the, in this correction system that we have here. But, um, and you know, you Josh, know just, just, yeah. real, just real quickly. I mean, you talk about the hundred, the, the thousands of prisoners, Mm-hmm. But behind each one of those prisoners are families and friends yeah. who are also affected. And I've had conversations with uh, uh, one one person in particular who had uh, a son incarcerated and just the horror, the mm-hmm. horror of that experience. So it radiates. It radiates out to, you know, across the state, which is yeah. why I just don't understand why we can't get more momentum behind changing things but again you know josh is bringing it to a close and and i just i want to say beth we do appreciate the work you're doing it's god's work and thank you for doing it well thank you both for for having me and giving me a chance to talk about this and um i do want to say i i am hopeful that this year will be better than last year. We have a new commissioner. Um, I don't know much about him, but, you know, he is from Alabama and has deep roots in Alabama. So I'm hoping that he will be more invested in this than our previous commissioner, who was really focused on getting mega prisons built. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that with Judge Thompson's order in the Braggs case, um, parts of it were disappointing to some people about the staffing, but at least it's all out there. We know what the problems are. The federal courts know what the problems are. It was a pretty scathing opinion. Um, and I think that 
you know, that's illuminating and that's good. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful um, and I'm going to keep beating this drum. So, um, well, we appreciate it. We do. We really do appreciate you doing this and, and, and you coming yes. on here with us and spending the time uh, that you have. And uh, it, it's, uh, you know, keep up the good work. And if we can be of any assistance, you know how to find us too. Thank y'all both. Thank you so much. Hey, that is best job. It is uh, doing great, great work. We're going to slide out of here. We'll come back in just a minute. I'll down politics this week. Everybody, if you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here in Alabama politics this week, uh, we've got a great way to uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about uh, what everybody likes to do, or everybody likes to hang out, or you know, whatever, whatever your question may be, uh, what chances the Democrats might have in, in the the upcoming midterm election. So shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back. Uh, I told you it was uh, going to be a day brightener with uh, with Beth. But, Ooh. man, she is she she's great. Um, man, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, she does absolutely. some really good work. And I, I just don't know how her and Eddie and the others that, that – deal with that all i mean the prisoners call them all the time uh you know and talk to them about what's going on and send them letters and I, it's just yeah it, it, i mean it's just the, the the worst stories all the time every day man i uh i didn't mention this while we were talking to beth but uh i wrote a column for usa today some years ago about prison rape Mm-hmm. And and one of my sources was uh, uh, somebody with uh, Just Detention International. Have you heard of them? I have not. Okay, it's a it's an organization that is is design, that was founded, as I recall, to uh, to specifically provide aid and support. Well, well, to prevent prison rape and to provide aid and support, I guess, to victims and their families. And so after I wrote this column, I got a letter from a woman who lived, you know, out outside of Alabama. Man, the letter was so heartbreaking about her son. And she was thanking me for the column, but then she was telling me about just the ordeal that her son had gone through in prison, you know, being raped repeatedly and what it did to him and and her inability to really you know, as much as she wanted to try to be there for him to help him, it was just heartbreaking, man, heartbreaking. And I connected her to to the people with um, Just Detention uh, International, but I just, you know, you just, you read something like that and all you can just think is, my God, I hope my child never ends up, you know, whether guilty or innocent, never ends up in a prison, man, because it, yeah. it's just horrible, horrible. Oh, it horrible. is. It is. It's terrible. I mean, it's. Just, I mean, you know, those stories that are in that DOJ filing are just. Mm. I mean, you know, there's things that keep you up at night, you know, and it's just. Um, it, I mean, it's just awful. It's just, just absolutely awful, and 
you know, what, what gets me is the lack of concern that, uh, or, or the lack of punishment that, mm-hmm. that often follows those things when they know what's taking place there. I mean, you're in a prison. I mean, what, what, what gets me so often is, is we have all of these issues with guards beating uh, prisoners and, and yeah. you know, take, taking the things too far, but we never have anybody uh, going going above and beyond to make sure uh, there, there there's justice. You know, the, the beating stories, they're, they're, they're not, you know, the attacks on prisoners, the unfair treatment of prisoners and things. They're never about uh, them saying, well, this guy was was raping people left and right. And so this was our way of, you know, this extra punishment, this solitary confinement was our way of stopping this from happening. You know, it's always pettiness. It's always something that happened with a guard. You know, somebody that didn't didn't, didn't speak right to a guard, or, or you know, and in a lot of cases, you know, I've been told from from prisoners who are in there, a lot of the the punishments that take place are from people that that spill or rats and, and talk about the drug trade that's going on uh, mm. that often involve the guards. And so, mm. you know, that's that to me is it's just. <laughs> I don't understand why we can't fix that. I can't. I don't understand why we can't make a dent in that, given the power that you hold in prisons over the population of people that you're overseeing. That you have a complete control over those people, uh, and obviously, no one in this state really gives a damn what you do to them. So why can't we go in and use that authority to make it better? You know why? Why can we not? Why can we not abuse authority to make it better in the prison? That's my point. You yeah, know? and I and I and I think the re, the answer to that question to me is because we don't really care. We just don't care. We don't care. We don't see inmates as people. We see them as probably at best as property. Um, at best, you know, if we even see them, even if we even place that level of value on them, <clears throat> and. Um, you know, it, you know, the, the whole I think really and, it, and let's face it. I mean, we've talked about this before. It's an enterprise, really. I mean, it's it's an enterprise for governments to some mm-hmm. degree. It's an inter- enterprise for private businesses. And uh, it's it's really. <laughs> in many ways, it's not really that different from slavery. No, in many ways. It really is. No. No, it's not, especially when you factor in the, uh, you know, the outside uh, prison workforce, yeah. uh, you know, that, that is there that's working yes, for, what, 75 it. cents a day or whatever the hell it is. Um, and, you know, I'll, somehow or another, somehow or another, it was we couldn't get visitors, including attorneys, back into the prisons. But we could manage to get that prison workforce out and about mm. working at the governor's mansion, cleaning up and cutting grass and doing all sorts of things. Those guys were okay to go out, but nobody was okay to go in, including mm. their families. Yeah. 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 They couldn't visit with their families, but they were okay to go out and, uh, and do the work there for 75 cents a day. So the state could save a few dollars. It's unconscionable. It's unconscionable. Yeah. And even when they're not, even when they're not exploiting, uh, incarcerated people as a workforce mm-hmm. they're still exploiting them in terms of uh the cost of being incarcerated you know yeah. what they have to pay for what they have to you know to get whether it's food in some cases or clothing or phone calls other other uh other privileges i mean you know 
it's um i i there's a another project i'm working on uh have been working on that i'll be talking about on this podcast here in another couple of months um when it launches and it, for this particular project i had to um i had to correspond with an inmate in south carolina mhm but the only way I could do it, the only way we could correspond by email was I had to pay. And it wasn't an exorbitant amount of money now, so I'm not I'm not saying that, but I still had to pay like to ensure that we could communicate. I had to pay like two dollars and fifty cents for the for for us to be able to email 10 times uh-huh. back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. It's the you same know. way. Yeah, you know, they're charging them for phone calls now. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and video calls. Yeah. You know, and, uh, that was a big thing. You know, you, your families couldn't they couldn't visit uh, inmates. You know, they couldn't visit, but you could do a video call, and we'll charge you for that. Exactly. Uh, exactly. You know. yeah. And you're right. So it's it's just making money off of, and it's in in the way they've been treated, uh, and the way we treat the whole system. It's just it's just unthinkable. Unthinkable. You know, it's just. Uh, nobody could take a look at this if you if you removed all emotion from it and you removed all the names from it and you just described this system to people and said, what do you think about that? There's no rational person that would say that that it was okay. As a matter of fact, most every rational person would say that is horrible. We that, that would there's no way that that would be happening uh, in in anywhere in America today. And yet it is. It's happening every day, and we see the stories, and we just don't put two and two together. Most people don't put two and two together. I don't think, and yeah. uh, or, or really give a shit. I guess I don't uh, know. But until it's their family, until yes, it hits until, their family, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You're right. And uh, speaking of. Uh, of unconscionable things, um, you know what? I, I know you wanted you wanted to bring up Nancy Worley's uh, funeral arrangements and stuff, mm-hmm. and and I and I wrote about her passing uh, week before last, or was it last last week? Was it last week uh, that she passed? And uh, she um, passed last week. Yeah, she passed last week, I believe. Yeah, Let's see. and 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 I you know, I wrote about her her passing and. Um, and put some stuff on, on Twitter and, and other places about it. And, you know, the, and I'd written previously about her being sick and, and being hospitalized. And the responses I got, uh, some, of, some of the responses I got were just the most mean-spirited. Mm. Um, and, and these were not from, from Republicans. These were from Democrats. Wow. Um, wow. And, um, and it was... And I, and I said something on Twitter that it was it was really disappointing to me to to read it from people some some of the people I knew um, and and to you know that they were so affected by that argument over control of the party uh, that mm-hmm. took place and you know Nancy had her beliefs that, that yeah. she and she believed she was right she believed what she was doing was right um, you know I I disagreed with her vehemently. You know, mm-hmm. o- over that, and I felt that what the leadership that was there had was at that point damaging the par- party. I felt at one point what she had done what was helpful to the party and being mm-hmm. able to get the finances under control and and things like that. I felt like early on some of what she did was very very helpful, mm-hmm. but I felt at a point it, that it had gone the other way. But regardless, you know, Nancy was a good person. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she she was she was a school teacher. Yeah. Uh, she always was was there for helping in public education and fought for public education mm-hmm. um, and policies. Was at the AEA for a while. Um, you know, she was just she was not. You, you may have disagreed. She may have argued with you. You may have had a heated words back and forth. But there's no reason to to disparage somebody in in death, especially yeah. uh, that way. And and it's just. The callousness of that was really off-putting to me. It really, really was. Yeah. Well, it's it's wrong, I think. I think it's wrong to... Well, first of all, we should try our best to never disparage, I think, the dead out of respect for their families and, and sympathy for their family and, and, and families and their people in their circle. But, but even beyond that, <clears throat> pardon me, um, as you said, she was fundamentally, as far as I can tell, she was a good person. Mm-hmm. I had interaction with her through the years when I was uh, on the editorial board of the Huntsville Times, and I never got the sense that she was some callous uh, politician or some conniving politician. Now, I can't say that about everybody, including no. some Democrats who I won't name. But uh, but um, but I will say uh, Nancy Worley always struck me as being uh, sincere and in her pursuits, in her political pursuits and and in her public service. And so I agree with you. I don't I don't I don't like the idea of people disparaging her, even though, like you, Josh, I thought it was time for a change. Yeah. you know, I don't think Nancy, you know, I don't, I didn't agree with the leadership that, that, that Nancy Worley and Joe Reed were um, providing the, uh, Al- the uh, Democratic Party in Alabama. But at the same time, I respected them. I respected their mm-hmm. service. And, and, I, and I don't think that it was fair to disparage either one of them i think we can disagree but to but but with the but the kind of public service that they have rendered to the party and to the state i do not agree with people disparaging either one of them yeah and it's just you know we all the the thing that got me was that we would we would agree on ninety nine percent of things. You know, I would agree with Joe Reed on ninety nine percent of things. Um, you know, and and most Democrats in this state would. Um, you know, it, I I don't know. It's just uh, it was it was very it was just very off putting to me the the way that it was it was handled and and the way that people got so get so wrapped up in in things now and and they let their emotions get the better of them and um, you know it just is you know just. Just move on. I mean, there's, listen, there's no reason to say anything. You know, if you if you don't have something nice to say, just don't say anything. Yeah, especially um, about somebody who's passed on. So the the our podcast drops on uh, the seventh, mm-hmm. and I believe uh, funeral services for her will be on the seventh uh, at the new at the uh, um, I think it's at the Baptist Church, the First Baptist Church in New Hope. I believe is where it is. And then they're supposed to be doing something in uh, some kind of memorial service in Montgomery a week after that. And I don't have any details on that, but 
Yeah, um, I, mean, I just showed that they were going to they, they were putting it together for a lot of the political friends uh, mm-hmm. that, that would be down there during that time, which would be a good time. Uh, you know, the uh, legislature will be in session then, right. and, and uh, so there would be a lot of people that could they could attend and pay their respects, and uh, you know, and and uh, there, you know, Nancy did have a lot of friends uh, still mm-hmm. around there, and um, and she was she was well thought of by a lot of people, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, so I I, th- I hope that that uh, it turned out to be nicer. Services that uh, that help her family and friends out a Absolutely. lot, and so uh, you know, uh, past that, um, and this is get us to our right wing nuts this week uh, because it's the day that we're that we are taping this is January the sixth, um, and January the sixth one year ago was a, a very uh, dark day um, and yes. um, uh, embarrassing day and infuriating day. Um, in the history of the country, of uh, the first time we got to see a Confederate flag walking around the halls in, in the in the U.S. Capitol. Wow! Um, wow! And, um, that can we just stop for a moment and really highlight that hmm? a Confederate flag? Yeah, yeah. The the That's, the flag that represented not just the enslavement of, of of my ancestors and all of that, but just you know, even forget about all that. It was the well, don't forget about it, but let's just put that aside for a moment. We're talking about of a government that was created to usurp the government of the United States of America. That flag. Yep, traitors. My God. Yeah, traitors. Uh, that would be an was, act of war in any other situation. Um, I, I would say there is, there is no better symbol that better represents those people that invaded the Capitol that day than the Confederate flag. So him carrying it was very appropriate for that group of people. Uh, and, and not just him, but there were, there were dozens of Confederate mm-hmm. flags on the grounds that day. Um, and, and people beating police officers, um, you know, police officers that later died or committed suicide. Um, uh, you, you know, there were a real threat to the, uh, elected officials, uh, in the Senate and in the house. Uh, there was a, a woman who was shot by a Capitol police officer. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a Capitol police officer who, you know, heroically kind of led those people away from, uh, you know, the elected officials that, uh, that he was there to protect and, uh, let them, allowed them to escape. We had the chance of hanging Mike Pence, uh, you know, with the gallows that had been erected outside, uh, with a noose. Um, I mean, these, these are real things that happened. Uh, you know, as they broke out doors and windows to invade the Capitol and to smear shit on the walls, literally, yeah, literal, uh, literal. Yeah, That's literally, literally yeah. what happened inside there. Um, you know, uh, to, to break into the offices of uh, of elected officials, including you know, uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, uh, and, and were you know locked. Uh, AOC's uh, staff were locked up, terrified in their offices in an inner office, afraid for their lives, rightfully so, because God would knows what would have happened to her or them had they found them, uh, located them, uh, because we all saw the pictures of the guys with zip ties roaming through the uh, through the House chambers. Uh, I mean, you know, they invaded the chambers, uh, went into the Senate and was standing, you know, behind the desks and, and, uh, and you know, rifling through papers and talking about Ted Cruz. And th- these are things that happened. These all are things that happened. All and all of it because some people misled half of America, basically, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, a good chunk of America over the legitimacy of an election. They lied and- about it. 
And everything yeah. that you describe, you know, we're saying it happened. All you, you know, it's documented that it happened. I mean, video, video, audio, photographs, all of that documented. Yep. And the woman who was shot and killed, let's remember, she was trying to break into the Capitol, mm-hmm. uh, to a, a, a section of the Capitol. And the reason she was shot and killed was because of that. She was yes. doing, she was trespassing. She was doing something illegal. The The Capitol Police officers didn't know if she was armed or what mm-hmm. her intentions were. They were in a in a siege situation. Yes. And so they killed this woman. And yet there's some people that are trying to make her a martyr as though <laughs> she was some innocent bystander. No, right. she was not. No. She was an active insurrectionist who represented a threat to the safety of all of the Congress. Right. They had uh, the Capitol Police had barricaded a door uh, and directly behind them, 50 feet or so behind them, were House members that were trying to evacuate the, 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 the Capitol and get out to safety. And they had barricaded that door and were holding weapons on that door. Mm-hmm. And while the while that crowd was there pressing against it and they were telling them, do not breach this door. We will shoot you. Do not breach this door. We will shoot you. And the reason for that was because those people that they are there to protect were right behind them. That's and if right. they came through that door, God only knows what would have happened. And so when she broke the glass out and started through that door, he shot her. And I wish she hadn't have died. I do. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I I wish a lot of things hadn't have happened. I wish he hadn't have, hadn't have been up there doing that. I wish all yeah. of the rest of the people hadn't been in there. Uh, and, and it's um, it's atrocious, man. What what took place? That, that I mean, uh, there were people. Uh, a man from Alabama, Lonnie Corfman, was arrested outside. That napalm in his truck. Um, you know, somebody planted pipe bombs all around the D.C. area. We still haven't caught that person. Uh, you know, there were weapons and, uh, you know, the, the videos of people beating police with, with flagpoles and, uh, and stomping them outside and spitting on them. And the um, officer that was crushed in that doorway, you've seen yes. that photo. He was oh, crushed. Yeah. You know, I mean, just horrible stuff. Uh, uh, yeah. It, all because, all because the cult leader. Uh, mm-hmm. of this of the Republican Party mm-hmm. had lost the election and for months had been telling people that they, it was going to be stolen from him that they, they all these they, they had all they created their own rules and they were fake votes all of which was a lie it was a lie from the start it has been proven to be a lie time mm-hmm. and time again he was lying his ass off because he's a yep. sore loser and a child yep. and does, did not want to admit defeat that is the only reason for this was so he did you, not want to admit defeat so how do you feel about uh, uh before we get out of here uh and i guess we should say our right wing nuts are or who exactly? All of those people. All of those people, right. <laughs> all so, of them. From the big lie people all the way to the people that stormed the Capitol. All right, of them. Right. Especially so, Donald Trump. Especially. He's, he's, the, he's the, the nut in chief, mm-hmm. so to speak. Uh, so let's, um, let me ask you this. How do you feel about, you know, Joe Biden made a speech this morning. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty explicit about putting the blame for January the 6th on Trump. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about his decision to do that? And do you think that that he did it at the right time or that he's late to or that he should have done it sooner? Um, 
I felt like, uh, man, it, it's tough. I'll tell you, Biden's in a tough spot on that because you get, I think he's handled a lot of things by saying, I'm going to ignore the former guy. Um, you know, uh, I think that, uh, I think that was the right move for a lot of what, in a lot of ways. And he wanted to concentrate on, on COVID and, and doing some other stuff. Um, I, I get that. And and I, I think there probably could have been a little bit more said, but I also understand the position that he was in, in which he was, uh, he he told everybody he was going to be someone that tried to avoid the partisan, you know, stuff, and tried to work with people on both sides, and which he I think he's done that. Now, of course, Republicans are never going to work with him, so it mm-hmm. doesn't really make it down. But um, and so I think that he has, but he has tried to do that. He has tried to reach out. He's tried to be somebody that that didn't play a lot of you know politics with with this with that incident the january 6th incident and everything else that's gone on i think he's done a good job of that but yeah i mean you know at a point man you got to say what the truth of the matter is and the truth of the matter is is this guy led this thing in an effort to overturn an american election that was fair and just and and handled appropriately by people all because we were in the midst of a pandemic that he himself helped create uh, by his inaction and his stupidity. And we had to go about uh, allowing people to vote uh, by mail. And we knew how this system was working. And all of those votes, uh, the, there has been almost no fraud found in all of that. And uh, everything was done on the up and up and had been monitored by everybody. And you know, it still didn't matter. It still didn't matter. And his little minions of, you know, Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and Tommy Tuberville and Mo Brooks, um, they went and did this bidding because it was politically advantageous for them. Um, and, you know, maybe they did or maybe they didn't uh, ever imagine such a scene playing out, which I could imagine that they didn't because Republicans can never see the long term uh, consequences of doing dumb shit. Uh, you know, they never see it coming. They never see the tax cuts uh, actually hurting the economy in the long run or they just don't care. And I could also see that, uh, you know. And so here we are. You know, I, I just to me, it's, it's a horrible, horrible day. Um, and a horrible, horrible scene that I never thought that I would see play out. I never thought yeah. we would come that close to just a, a, an absolute coup. Uh, that's what was that's what was attempted. It was a stupid coup. It was a coup tried to you know that was that was run by stupid people, so it was unsuccessful. But that's what it was. Yeah, but it 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 was only un. Well, I think you're right that they were that they were. Uh, incompetent in many ways but i will say they were you know if it it seems as though the only place where they really seem to have colossally miscalculated as far as i can tell from what i've read you you may disagree with this but i think they miss they they misjudged and miscalculated on mike pence and had they not uh-huh. if mike pence had had been as drunk on the Kool-Aid as he often appeared to be. Yeah. I think we'd be looking at an entirely different scenario now, you know, in terms of America still being functioning as a democracy. Uh, Mike Pence, even though, even though he continues to try to walk a line on it, he continues to say, and I give him credit for this and I don't give him credit for much of anything. 
but I give him credit for the fact that he still refuses to capitulate to the delusion, to the Trump delusion. He continues to say, the president and I probably won't agree on this, but something horrible did happen on on yeah. uh, January 6th. He has maintained that position. So I think... Um, I think that was the that was the weakness in their plan. They thought they had Mike Pence, or they hoped they had Mike Pence, and they didn't. Yeah, uh, I agree. I agree. Had, had Pence went in and, and done what they were asking him to do, um, I, I think that it would. Well, you're right. We would have had a whole different scenario of things. But um, you know, I, I I'm I'm looking forward to more and more. Uh, of the evidence and the text messages and the phone mm-hmm. calls and things that are coming out of that January 6th investigation. It's damning. Um, it's damning. Oh, it is. It's very damning. I mean, yeah. when you have, you know, when you have Mitch McConnell say, I think we're all watching this and there's some people that have some things to answer for, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that's a damning thing because I got a good idea that Mitch McConnell knows what some of those things are oh, and, yeah. and what's going to come out. Oh, yeah. um, and, and so, you know, and I would like to remind people, that Republicans had an opportunity to participate in this mm-hmm. uh, and, and a bipartisan commission to investigate this, and they blocked it. Um, and, I, you know, I've been unhappy with the pace of this thing. I thought, you know, Doug Jones would have been a better uh, prosecutor uh, over Merrick Garland in this in this instant to take on this thing and, and go after it. And I think we would be a little farther down the road. But. Uh, you know where we are. Maybe the way, maybe the slow pace and the and the methodical way it's gone down will ultimately pay pay dividends, and and people will put more stock in what's taking place because they have built a hell of a case against some people, uh, mm-hmm. and they built it from the ground up slowly, so you can see it building. Mm-hmm. And I think there are some people who are going to be very afraid of what's going to come out because it's going to be in their own words. Uh, we already see Sean Hannity running like hell from this thing, uh, which is nice. Uh, and, I mean, all those people at Fox. which is, Now, is there any question that's the de facto PR firm for the Republican oh, sure. Party? Sure. I mean, for God's sakes, giving them PR advice on the fly in live yeah. time. Uh, but, I, I, I will make I will say, you know, and I, I'm a big MSNBC guy and I will say that I think uh, both MSNBC and Fox tend to uh, tend to uh, adhere pretty closely to whatever the the party line is for their respective sides. But I don't believe I don't believe that MSNBC people are doing what the Fox News people no. have done. In no, Rachel Maddow of, ain't texting Joe Biden advice every night, you know. I, exactly. And and yeah. and explicitly, you know, I don't I don't think it I don't think it gets yeah, I just I don't believe that and there's no reason to believe that uh at this point. So uh I I just think Fox has crossed well, I won't say Fox as an entity, but certainly individuals at Fox. Sean, yes. uh who, you know, I used to know and uh Laura Ingram and and some of those other folks, I think they they without question crossed the line, even as people who uh, are admittedly not functioning as journalists per se, but are functioning as, uh, you know, uh, a talking heads, opinion, you know, uh, people who are espousing opinions. But still, there ought to be some kind of ethically, there still should be some wall of separation. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's uh, yeah. You, you think know? so, right? Uh, I mean, and, uh, as a columnist, I yeah. should, you know, when I was doing co- when I was doing columns for the newspaper, and of course, I write columns for APR now. I shouldn't be giving advice 
to elected officials, yeah. you know, um, in, in even even doing what I do, you know, I just shouldn't be doing that. At, at least not without full disclosure. Now, if I'm fully disclosing what I'm doing, maybe it's okay, but but not without disclosure for sure. Well, listen, I think I think you you went a little too light on Fox on that. <laughs> so that's a, I mean, they they know what the hell is going on over there, and they don't care, uh, you know. And that's it's uh, been part of the problem all along. But uh, listen, I, you know, it's it I, it is it you know it it's I don't understand how your people aren't more disturbed by by what they saw that day. Um, uh, you know, I saw Carl Rove wrote a pretty scathing column today in the Washington uh, in well, the Wall Street Journal, oh, okay. um, and um, and you know when you've lost Carl Rove, you yeah, know, when Carl Rove says no, no, that's too immoral even for me. <laughs> I mean, for God's sakes, man, you know. Yeah, we remember yeah. what he used yeah. to do during. Yeah, the I know, right? Year. I mean, I'm, I would, I would think even uh, Carl Rove would be down with hunting humans, but I mean, good God, <laughs> you know, that's uh, you know, he was like, oh, that's too far. You, you got to pull it back. And I said, like, oh, mercy. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's a. Uh, uh, I just wish that people would would look at it objectively and look at what these people have said and look at what a lot of people who who are now claiming everything is okay actually said in real time. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think that um, the evidence is pretty clear of that. But, you know, we've given people uh, we've given people a nice long comeback show. Um, (laughs) We probably should slide out of here. So, uh, you know. but it was it was fun. It's it's been a been a good time back, and we had lots to say. So, uh, uh, all right, let's let's get out of here. And uh, right. you know what? Uh, next week we'll be we'll be in full session, so we'll have some other things to talk about. I'm yeah, sure. Absolutely. And uh, until then, y'all uh, y'all be safe out there. Peace.